Welcome to Season 5 of the Get Out of Teaching podcast, presented by Larksong Enterprises. This podcast is for teachers who are considering leaving education, but feel like they have no options. I'm your host, Elizabeth Diakos. I'm a career transition coach who guides overwhelmed teachers out of education and into a life they love. In this season, we'll be speaking with wellbeing experts who can help you to stay well as you plan your exit. But I also want to share something with you. Many teachers want to escape the classroom, but still have a passion to teach. If that sounds like you, then consider becoming a learning success coach. Founder Kahila Sivas has created a business in a box. It's a 12-week guided process to build and launch your independent coaching practice with no profit share or franchise fees. Be inspired by the latest stories of teachers who are leaving the classroom at www.learningsuccesscoaches.com and get out of teaching with confidence. Episode 19. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. On today's show, I'm really pleased to be uh, speaking with Shane and Angie Saunders, who are experts in breathwork and are going to talk to us today about how they help people uh, mitigate their trauma response, their stress responses by by the use of breathing. Uh, I hope I haven't misrepresented you both there. Um, Welcome to the show. Thank you. you. No, you haven't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so um, let's start with Angie and then we'll move to Shane. So Angie, tell us a little bit about your story and your background and how you got into doing the work that you're doing right now. Thank you. I think it's I think it might be a familiar story to most people sort of going through a coming of age time where, uh, you know, my whole life I wanted to be in, a, in the entertainment industry and worked my whole life to get there and moved. Uh, I was in entertainment um, probably since I graduated high school. In fact, they didn't have a drama program in high school, so I created one. <laughs> and uh, and now the school still has it. But, you know, once I got to Hollywood, <clears throat> I spent about five years there. And I was like, this is actually not what I thought it was going to be like. And uh, this was and I realized that this is actually not um, the place I wanted to get married and have kids and live the rest of my life. So, uh, you know, actually shortly right before I met Shane, I did have that come to Jesus moment, for lack of better words, where I was like, you know what, today is the beginning of a new life. I have no idea what I'm going to do or where I'm going to go, but this is just not it. And so then um, I left it just I left it open uh, for whatever I felt my calling was next. And when I met Shane, it was perfect because, you know, we, it, it was it is one of those things where we met fell in love. And within six months, I sold everything I had in, in Hollywood and moved from, uh, well, actually from Hollywood to Frankston. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's a significant transition. Uh, for, for the international list, listeners who don't know where Frankston is, it's uh, <laughs> south of Melbourne. It's probably like an hour's 45 minutes drive. And uh, it's now a regional centre, but it might not have been really back then. Um, I suspect it's a bit of a, a backwater. Um, so where did you actually grow up, Angie? Well, I actually grew up backwater in Lodi, California. So for me, it was kind of like, I don't know, it was it was just a bit of a slower pace and, and it was a place that I, I loved. It. I thought it was beautiful. I was happy to be there. I was happy to be out of Hollywood. Um, and it was a bit nerve wracking. I went through a couple of health issues when I made my first move. I was only 26 at the time. And, uh, you know, so it was going through, you know, mind body transition and changes and Shane had just come out of the military and he was, he's all about, you know, helping people, training people to be at their best, 
you know, great energy, um, being able to do what you really want to, you know, so being that, and and I had already been in self-development for a while. So, you know, I just really took to that. And that's when we started really exploring, you know, NLP, you know, understanding mindset and the power of beliefs and um, how when you change what you believe, it changes your results. And, and I, and I had some really great, great moments there uh, of, of learning, you know, what to focus on, what not to focus on. But there seemed to be a little bit of a missing between knowing how to feel better and actually feeling better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and okay, so I'm going to stop you there and let, I'm just going to get Shane's background because you're giving us a little bit of a snippet there. Shane, <laughs> you want to just fill us in? So did you grow up in Frankston now that I've insulted Frankston? <laughs> True, Elizabeth. Uh, Crib Point, actually, down a little bit further down south, down the peninsula on the morning to peninsula. So um, I was living, I was in the military at the time when I met Angie, I was uh, on leave overseas. And uh, my career in the military was, uh, it was a a long career, it was 13 years. I joined when I was 16. Uh, I served in, um, in Iraq. So I, I got to do the gamut of, of different things in there. And I was, I was uh, lucky enough and, and had the drive enough to uh, really push myself through going through into specialised categories in the military as well. So, you know, you can join in general entry, but I really wanted to go to specialised categories. So, you know, I, I um, got selected for physical training instruction, um, which was a specialised category. And then following that, I went to special operations command, so special forces, um, I got to I got to work with uh, commandos SAS. Um, I, I then later on went did the SAS training course by myself. Decided after doing that that professional soldier wasn't uh, wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. Mm. So, but the you know what it gave me and the and the the exposure to the different things that I got in there were you know it was second to none type of training. So when I left the military. I uh, began a business in uh, personal training, so high-end personal training. Um, you know, I built that business up quite quickly. And given, given what I'd done in the military, I really, again, I wanted to specialise. I wanted to get into something and, and take it into, in, in deeper. And that's kind of how we, we ended up in looking at how does the mind and body connect? What's the, what's the bridge or what's the thing that really brings those two together and, uh, you know, as Angie mentioned, we did quite a bit of self-development and self-development on the, on the surface is, is, is really, you know, it's, it's about mindset. It's about working with the mind. It's about how you think, um, you know, it's about taking, uh, taking action on things in your life. But we really saw that there was this missing piece where the body wasn't really included in, in self-development. And um, so we started really looking into, you know, what's, what's the missing piece here in, in, uh, in what we're doing? And not only I was working with clients at the time, but what we really narrowed it down to was looking at breathing, um, looking at how breathing affects the body. But then we later really dove deeper into the science and started looking at how does breathing affect behavior? And this is where it really gets interesting and kind of where our current field of study is right now and so we've uh we've built a business um uh, and and a um and a a coaching business and a teaching business really around 
this idea of looking at how behavior affects uh, people's, uh, how breathing affects a behavior, and then what you can do about it. Like what, what, is, what is it that this is a really a missing piece when it comes to, uh, you know, you mentioned at the start, people that have trauma or just day to day, like day to day living, you know, you're dealing with mood swings, you're dealing with, um, you're dealing with physical aspects of the body, whether your energy fills up or it fills down, um, you know, all those sorts of things. Well, breathing and behavior tie into all of these things at a very intricate level, a very specific type of um, type of level. So it comes all the way down to really on a day-to-day level, how your CO2, uh, you know, your the carbon dioxide in your body mm. is such an important factor in oxygen getting to vital areas like the brain, like the body. So that that's really to, that's how we that's how we've come to this. We've come kind of to this to, to this point where we're just looking specifically at this thing because if we look at breathing on a hierarchy of what what you need to survive breathing right up much, there it's pretty it's pretty, it's <laughs> right. pretty much at the top it's pretty mm-hmm. much at the top and and what in 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 that being a physical aspect it also ties into survival and we see a lot of people that either come to us or that we deal with in large groups um we often go to uh, businesses and companies and we talk to people and survival being in survival mode is not a great place to be chronically. Chronically in survival, you know, chronically your body being in survival, it causes inflammation in the body. It causes most of the ills and ailments that people are suffering today, whether it be mental or physical or a combination of both, mm. are linked to this, this, this thing where the body is in a constant survival mode. And it's not healthy to function in that mode for a long period of time. So that's why this is such a key key component of of the uh, of the work that we do. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I, I'm hearing that um, this. Uh, like I was just thinking as you were talking about that, I was thinking like as soon as you stop breathing, you die. Like that's kind of important, right? Um, and and also I know myself. Like uh, yesterday, one of my kids needed help with a just a they needed to clean their house for a rental inspection. It was not on my agenda to drive 45 minutes to go and, you know, actually mow the lawn. Um, but that's what I did. But I, I, I was really busy and I, and I felt this kind of rising almost panic, like, oh, how am I going to get all this stuff done? It's, it's late in the day. We're heading into winter here, so the days are short. I won't have a nice long afternoon to leisurely mow the lawn. We're going to have to quickly go and... And I, and I just sat in the car and I was just doing like, just do some breathing. (laughs) But I'm not an expert and I don't really know how to manage that, you know, properly. Um, And so I would love to hear um, some, I guess, some strategies that people can use uh, when they're feeling that rising sense of panic. I know a lot of teachers uh, who I've spoken to over the years um, in my coaching and um, just in the Facebook group, Get Out of Teaching Facebook group, that they are saying they're having a panic attack in the car or they've got you know, high anxiety on a Sunday night and they just can't bring themselves back down to function so then they can't sleep, so then they're exhausted and it's just this vicious you know, downward spiral. How do you help someone in a situation like that? 
Well, I would say that there's a little, there's kind of two sides to this story here and two ways to go about it. And both are equally as important as each other. One is like an intervention strategy, you know, where, you know, you, you can Google and there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of different types of breathing techniques. So where people might have a tendency to get confused is like, which one's going to be right for me at what moment when I need it. And, and so we call those interventions where you can learn a breathing technique. You can learn something that you can do to help manage your energy. Anxiety is slightly a bit different because it feels like it's out of control and it feels like you, you can't control the anxiety. And so you try to control it and then it becomes a battle over control. <laughs> right. And it's almost like, it's almost like there's a whole buildup, you know, so there's a, there's a little bit of a ramp up before that moment. And if you can learn to catch it before you get to that moment, it's easier. And when you get to that moment, if you can learn how to relax into that moment and use, use your intuitive knowledge of, of what, well, we teach a couple of really basic points to, for intervention. And if you can remember three shapes, then you can pick one of those shapes and one of them will help you in the moment. So, you know, there, there, there is this intervention strategy. But ideally, what is intervention for? Intervention for ultimately is for self-regulation and self-regulation uh, unconsciously, where you don't have to work so hard to feel regulated or work so hard to like, you know, it depends, especially if you're going through transitions, you're going to have there all your body's going to be screaming in some way or another, you know, so if you if you can work with the body to a place where you can get to becoming self-regulated on its own, you'll be able to fly through those stressful times a lot easier. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea. I was an art teacher, so I'm right into shapes. So yes. tell me, tell me about the three shapes. I'm really curious about that. Yeah. I feel like I could manage that. I could remember three things. <laughs> it's a good place to start. Yeah. So we have a we have a look at the three, the three main shapes: the circle, the square, and the triangle. And I'll start with the triangle because the triangle is our normal breath pattern. Um, a lot of the times if, if people have a hard time trying the triangle, so if you think of like, you know, visualize that triangle, you inhale up one side and you exhale down the other and you pause the breath slightly, very short, that's your triangle. And um, there, it's really, these are the only three things that you can do with your breathing is the in and the out and the pause. So if th there's something very magical about this pause in the bottom of the triangle that when you breathe in and you breathe out and you pause, most of us have a tendency to abort that pause and get straight into the inhale. And what, what happens there is it's a, it's a, it's an inherent unconscious control mechanism that doesn't allow the body to naturally build up enough CO2 to be self-regulated. And I'm trying not to go too much into the science here, which Shane will probably explain a little bit it's, more about this. I, 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 it's, um, We'll come, we'll come back to the shapes, but I think it's important, um, Elizabeth, that we, we kind of back up a little bit in th there's a couple of things that we've noticed with working with people. One, people don't take any notice of their breathing. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that's, that's, that's one of the first mistakes that most people make. They, they, you, you just assume that you breathe. Right, like it, like it happens when you sleep. It happens when you're focusing on other things. It happens when you drive. You know, like I mean, you're breathing twenty thousand, approximately about twenty thousand breaths a day. Wow, okay, is what you're breathing, and that is twenty thousand cycles of the gases being balanced in your breathing. So, really, what this comes down to is that what you do mechanically with your breath, and what I mean by mechanically is what you do when you 
uh, inhaling and exhaling, or you, as Angie mentioned, you're doing what's, what's called an intervention, which is a breathing technique. That is not actually the same as your respiration. So, there, so there's something different. Breathing and respiration are different. Okay. And they're different, they're different <laughs> because respiration is the chemical aspect of what happens with the gas exchange in your body. Right. Now, now, the respiration is a function Okay, sorry, the, the, your breathing is a function of the respiration. So your body breathes in a certain way to maintain the respiration and maintain the chemical balance, right? Okay, so so just, just, I'm going to back up to year nine science for a second. Uh-huh. So you're just, just as a little reminder, there's, you've got a certain amount of, of carbon dioxide in our bloodstream. Mm-hmm. When that level gets too high, our, our body says, hang on a minute, I'm getting a bit depleted, I need more oxygen, so you, you take a breath to rebalance. Is that kind of actually right? opposite? Yeah, it's a com- that's it's the common <laughs> that's the common thinking though. Yeah. Elizabeth, this is not this is good. This, this is, is not funny. getting this is not getting it wrong. This is actually what we've learned as well. I mean, we thought exactly the same as you did. What actually happens is it's not enough CO2 that you have. Too much oxygen. So 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 what happens oh. is so what happens is you the, the CO2, it's like a lock and key. For the oxygen to be released when it perfuses out of the lungs, it needs CO2 to replace it into the, into the cells. It does like a, like a lock and key type of thing. So what often happens is that you'll inhale air, the air will come in your body, and with the right amount of CO2 and oxygen balance, you'll get this transfer of the oxygen out. So there has to be the, the right amount of CO2 present for that to happen. Right. But then there's a second time. There's a second time as that's when it goes into the blood. Then you've got to have the right amount of CO2 for it to come from the blood into the cells of the body. Right. Right. And this often, this often what people, um, happens to people a lot of the time is they can measure their oxygen saturation. You know, you get those little, the little, and it can tell you that you've got 90, you know, 95% blood oxygen saturation. But that's in your blood. That doesn't mean that it's getting into the tissues. So what it doesn't tell you is it doesn't tell you if your CO2 is too low that you will not get that oxygen transferred into the tissues. Let me, let me put it this way. Think of, think of oxygen like money, right? You've got oxygen in the bank, money in the bank, right? Yep. You go out to get something to eat and you want to use that money, but you don't have a card or you don't have the cash. So you've got more than enough money in the bank, but you just can't use it. So we think of like the CO2 as the card to use, uh, to be able to use the money that you have. So usually we have more than enough oxygen in the system. We just don't have enough CO2 to use that oxygen. Does that make sense? So is it a, I'm, I'm, I'm worried now that I'm going to be mislead everyone here by this question, but is it an osmosis thing? Is that what's happening? That there needs to be a certain level of the CO two in order for the oxygen to go the, across. The, yes. The uh, the mechanism that you're describing is correct, but I don't think the ter- I don't think the term osmosis is. <laughs> but the idea is, is yes. yeah, but it's okay. but, it, but the mechanism. So it's, like, it's like osmosis. Yeah, it's a transparency. It's like, you know, we've heard as of lately that, you know, you've got to have enough zinc for the C to be used into the body. You know, it's like, it's like a perfect match to be able to Uh, use. Yeah. Okay. So it kind of optimizes the access to the oxygen. Exactly. Correct. Correct. And most of us are highly stressed and breathing in a way where we're breathing off too much carbon dioxide. 
So we're breathing, actually breathing too much. So we're like, like fast, shallow breathing. Yes. Dispelling. Yes. yes. Okay. Even, even I'm, I'm probably going to really throw, confused. I'm going to not, not confuse, but I'm really going to spin some beliefs out here. Um, you know, when, when someone says, oh, just take a deep breath, even like, slow. you know, like, yes, sighs are really good. They help you to let go, but quite often taking a big, deep breath that can lower the CO2. pushes off more CO2 as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of, don't worry. We'll get to the one strategy yeah, that works really well. <laughs> we'll, um, we'll get to an answer here. <laughs> so much, so much of this stuff is counterintuitive. Elizabeth, you know. it's so even when we learned it, mm. when we learned it, we were like, what? Wow, we thought the exact opposite of what mm. we learned because mm. it's a, you know, breathing is a complex system and mm. most things are a complex system. And I think that we like to simplify things down to just you breathe in and out, but it, but there's a, there's an actual complex mm. um, chemical reaction that happens behind that, which is what we were just describing, which is this idea that. If, you, if you're not getting that right balance, what it will do is it will send alerts to your brain that will do two things. It'll, it'll interrupt or speed up your breathing or do something to your breathing, but it will also go to the centres in your brain, all the centres in your brain that uh, to deal with, you know, whether you've got traumatic memories or, you know, danger alerts or whatever it is. So, you the, the way that you breathe can confuse you into thinking that you're having some kind of let's call it a panic attack let's call it an anxiety attack whereas a, a large chunk of that feeling you're having and thinking it's something mental is actually a physical aspect of the chemistry in your body so you know what we've what we've uh, the discussions we've had with a lot of people is People think they might have a, a, a you know a mental health issue. They you know they get panic attacks and they they go to the thing of thinking, well, what's wrong with me? There's something mm. mental wrong with me. Well, it's actually a large chunk of it will not be that. A large it's chunk of it will be the, your respiration is not working. Wow! Right. So mm. that's actually quite liberating to know, like you're not crazy. No, um, you're actually wrong with you're just you. not breathing the right way. Yes. yes. Yeah, and, and can, that was a huge relief for me. Yeah, it, it can it can cause a lot of issues for people. As what I mean by a lot of issues, it can cause a lot of issues where people misdiagnose themselves mm. as as having some mental mental issue, you know, mental illness issue, when really it could be as 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 a very small, slight offset in their CO two in their body that will show up as like the list. When we learned this through our mentor in, in, in the US in the breathing science, because we, we're just studying breathing science at the moment, the list of stuff is just crazy. The list includes everything from you thinking you're having a heart attack all mm. the way through. You think of every, um, you know, uh, whether it's autoimmune or whether it's pain, chronic pain, fatigue, fatigue um, chronic fatigue, all of these things will have a basis in you breathing in an incorrect way and therefore the symptoms showing up and it gets misdiagnosed a mm. lot of times. 60% of the ambulance call-outs in the U.S., well, this was sort of like pre-pandemic, was due to um, a, a breathing dysfunction of sorts. So people were thinking that they were, they were having a heart attack or an anxiety attack or something like that, and if they felt out of control and would call the ambulance. Mm. So so can I just ask, I remember back in the day, people used to say blow into a, or like breathe into a brown paper bag. 
so my understanding of that was you're actually inhaling more carbon dioxide which, by would, do, which would do what Re which would bring your co2, your CO2 up, up and, balance and make you, you out. feel better so that's that old wife's tale that's actually a really good idea ancient yes. wisdom you shouldn't <laughs> throw any of it out right like it's 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 interesting that because I, I had that same thought when I heard that because that, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Oh, the old blowing in the paper bag. Now I understand why you do that, yeah. what it yeah. is. You know, so I was actually talking to a guy at the Mac store um, about his mask. This was last year. And he said that his uh, chronic bronchitis went away when he started wearing the mask. I was like, oh, isn't that interesting? So if you can kind of like get over the psychological pressure of the mask, <laughs> yeah. might, in some cases, I'm not saying another's in principle is different. In principle is different, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, you know, interestingly enough, like it does have a tendency to raise some CO2. And it causes problems as well. And it can cause problems. It, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a fine balance. I mean, the mechanism. Psychology plays a big part. If you think about this mechanism that we're talking about, Elizabeth, is so um it's it's so fine like because what it's doing is it's actually balancing the blood ph from breath to breath so it buffers the salts in the blood and balances the ph so you know your blood ph you, you hear people all the time talking about you know ph balanced water or eating food to get your ph right none of that none of that gets affected too much it's like a drop well. in the ocean compared to your breathing wow. your breathing is actually what balances a ph in your body and that's why it's it's a it's a very delicate type of sensor and it when it's out it'll create all sorts of different um issues in the body your brain neurotransmitters hormone you know it affects hormone release it affects hydration it affects whether blood gets to your brain or not because if your co2 is not at the right level everything vasoconstricts so you get constriction it causes headaches um light sensitivity um, you know, you name like you name all the grumpy <laughs> moods that, that people go yeah. through, and there will be a constriction of the vesicles through this mechanism. So yeah. it's a really important thing. And I think to circle back around, I, I wanted to kind of lay that out before we got in, back into the shapes and into the intervention. Nice. Because yeah. the, the point of the point of telling you all of that initially is because when you do these interventions it's really important that you understand that it's not the way that you're breathing that's going to make the biggest difference. It's doing, it's, it's doing the practice and recognising that you can let your body breathe on its own that really makes a big difference, right? It's, it's the difference between doing the breathing or being the breathing. And this is, this is a really big difference. And I think that if you were to sit most people down, and we do this all day long, if you really sit with someone and you ask them about their breathing, they'll tell you that their breathing just happens on their own. But we, uh, we use certain instrumentation that we can put people on and we can show them that they are controlling every breath. They are actually I'm so conscious of my breathing now. <laughs> <laughs> like, what am I doing? <laughs> right. This, this is what happens, Elizabeth. It, it's, yes. it's, it's, totally, it's totally normal to do, to do that, to try and, but I think what, what a lot of us don't, don't recognise is that we are actually controlling our breath unconsciously. And this is what causes the dysfunctions because your body, your body knows how to breathe. Like that's, that's the thing. Like, and the more trust you can reinstill in the body, the more that you'll start to breathe better, the more that you'll feel better, and then you'll start to have more trust in life, 
more trust in what's going on. And I know that's a like a, you know, that's a big metaphor, but it's actually, it's actually that that simple. Not easy, but it is that simple. But I'll say again, it's not that easy as well because of all the environmental demands that we have on us, the way that our world is right now. There's so much pressure and stress and you know, you got to pay mortgages and you got to pay bills and you, you're going from job to job and you got to move house and you, you know, all these things mm. are going to cause stress and it's going to, and it's going to, getting sick and they can't deliver things and yes. the shops are shut half the time because COVID. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yep. So, you know, a little story about what I've been going through and what I've been realizing what's happening in my own breathing whilst we've been doing this, this work is that I have a tendency to, to control my inhale and control my exhale. And I do them uh, one right after another, which means that would bring it into the shape of a circle. So I was breathing basically, which is kind of like I'm running a marathon, which makes sense. I'm a mom, I have business, I'm going, I wake up, I do this, I do that. I take the kids here, I do this. I have campaigns, you know, like, you know, I feel like I was saying to a friend the other day, I feel like I'm busier than ever and getting nowhere. faster than what I was before you know and it's reflected in in my unconscious breathing because I'm just trying to control things to get things done just get it done so I just get the inhale done get the exhale done and get the inhale done and what it's doing is it's causing a deficit for me so I was having these issues where I was having pain in my neck and shoulders and it was happening quite often to the point where there'd be times where I'd have to like basically it, it started giving me these headaches these really really bad headaches because when I'm stressed out and overwhelmed and I breathe in this way, it's not enough CO2 for oxygen to go to my brain. Therefore, psych- psychologically, it's a disassociation strategy where I just can't handle the overwhelm. I just can't handle it. I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it too much already. Right. And so so the not enough oxygen goes to the brain and it makes it really hard to think. And I become foggy and cloudy. Like, does this sound familiar? <laughs> you know, sort of well, that's like a, I know that's a very, you know, poor example, but that's how I felt. I'm like, I have to go and help my daughter. I've got all these other things that I now had to push aside in order to do that. And I did. I and I thought, take some deep breaths because that's what you do, right? That's what we've been told to do to help yes. yourself calm down. But actually, that's completely the wrong strategy and just kind of makes it even worse. Well, it, it might work for some as well. You know, like here's the interesting thing your breathing's like a fingerprint. So it's totally unique to you. What works for one person may not work for another. So that, that's what kind of also makes it slightly difficult to say one size fits all I breathing. Think, I think the technique. To, to kind of, clarify this and I know we've been jumping all over the place because it can get confusing because so many of the concepts are opposite to what <laughs> you would you would naturally think and I think that's what confuses people but I think what it really comes down to Elizabeth is number one that the first thing that you can do that is really important is sit with your breathing for just a period in the day like whether it's 30 seconds or two minutes or three minutes, we recommend people sit for three minutes in the morning and you don't have to do anything except for just feel what, what's your breath doing. And you will, you'll start to pick up the subtleties. You'll be like, Oh my God, like I'm breathing really fast or, you know, or, or it feels constricted or you feel like you're not getting enough air or there'll be something that will come up. Yeah. There'll be something that will come up just by you. It's like, you know, if you start the car on a cold day, you know, they, they, I mean, they don't do it so much now with the engines these days, but, you know, it used to be that you used to have to sit there and let it idle. Mm. 
Yeah, I remember but, that. Pull the choke yeah, exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, that, that whole concept is that you're allowing you're allowing the engine to find out where its optimum mm-hmm. rev is, where it's not going to overdo things. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to underdo things, right? Underdo things, it conks out. Overdo things, it's going to burn all the fuel up and burn burn the engine out. So you want to, you want to get it to the point where you're understanding that you're idling well. Mm. right you're idling well that's that's the first thing that you can do and it doesn't require any kind of training it doesn't require anything other than you actually sitting maybe closing your eyes if you can it's preferable so that you can go internal and just feel it Mm. that's the first thing that's that's the first thing that we recommend to people the next thing that we recommend is coming into what we were what we were talking about before with the interventions and that is doing your breathing, but the only reason that you will do your breathing is so that you can train your breathing to breathe well when you're not thinking about it, right? So think about it like this. Your nervous system needs to go to the gym <laughs> just as much as your body needs to go to the gym, mm-hmm. right? Just as much as our minds need to need stimulation, your nervous system needs to understand how to get strength, how to get flexibility, how to, uh, how to respond in an environment where there's lots of things being thrown at it, right? If you've got a wound up nervous system and then you have a lot of stress, like, you know, you, you getting the call up, got to go and help you, you weren't ready for that. So then it puts your nervous system on overload. And whereas if, you're ner- if you've got more flexibility in your nervous system, right, straight away you get that call and you're going to be like, okay, well, you know, it's not so bad. I'll go out and do that thing and then I'll be able to do the rest of the stuff at a later date or whatever it is. The world's not going to end, right? Like we have, you know, there's a mindset that goes with it, but your nervous system in that moment is not going to freak out and start overloading you and then you get into the panic state. And then what happens when you get in that panic state? The CO2 starts to lower Mm -hmm. and it drives you further into that spiral. So the whole idea is that, the, the circle, square, and the triangle breathing that we recommend that people do is purely, is purely to, to put flexibility into the nervous system. It's so that you can, you can breathe in a certain way and then recognize what does it feel like if I do breathe fast? What comes up? Does, do I start to feel panicky? Do I start to feel clammy? Do I get the sweats? And this, this kind of stuff happens to people, um, you know, all the time. So it's the, the idea is that you're leaning on discomfort you're getting strength in your nervous system. And then what that does is that leads us to the third thing, which Angie mentioned before, and that is being self-regulated. And what being self-regulated means is it means that you don't think about your breathing. Your breathing responds because it's had the training. You've got a strong nervous system or you've got a trained nervous system and your body starts regulating the, the gases as it should be. And then therefore you can get on with what you need to do and your breathing gets on with what it needs to do, right? Whereas whereas most of the time for most people, they don't have that flexibility in their nervous system. They don't allow their body to idle in the morning or recognise whether, you know, how do you feel in your breathing? So it, it, it's kind of this three-step, we, we, we take it through this three-step process. So I would also want to just add to light the importance of the of uh, our reflexes right because when you were when Shane was just talking about like you know how we react it's that knee jerk reaction it's the reaction that happens before we even get a chance to think 
about the reaction, right? And you see the reaction and you think about the reaction and you make choices of, and then you make a story about the reaction and sometimes that drives you into a vicious cycle of anxiety, right? So this reflex um, is, the, is probably the most important thing to build rapport within your body and where that reflex sits, like when I just mentioned before about the triangle, the inhale and the exhale and the pause, that natural reflex in, in our breathing mechanism lies in that pause in the triangle. So if, if it's uncomfortable to pause and you feel like you're not getting enough air or not enough oxygen, then, then there's most likely a disconnection with the reflex and you might be on high alert. You know, so, so the, the, and, and that's where we found was the missing link. Like for me, you know, when, when I said earlier about going like, okay, I know what I need to do to feel better, but there's a missing link between knowing how to feel better and actually feeling better. It was in that breathing reflex. It's understanding to connect with that and allow that reflex to react how it needs to. And, and what, what Angie, to I mean, just to clarify, yeah. what Angie <laughs> means by the reflex is the body's natural ability to balance the CO2. Yeah. That's yeah. what the reflex that's, that's what, what the, I thought she meant. Yeah. I wasn't thinking like the neat, literal knee jerk. <laughs> yeah. But that is but but an important point there, Elizabeth, about that knee-jerk reaction. That knee-jerk reaction happens because your nervous system is so tightly wound. Yeah. And, and you re, you re, you react instead of respond. You react emotionally yeah. instead of responding from a point of like you know, being as calm as you can be mm. in a given situation. And I like just thinking about school environments, I know from my own experience what a reactive place the school was. Like someone would say, oh, you need to get this, you know, curriculum document ready by tomorrow afternoon. And you you just you go, well, when? Like how can I possibly do that? And then, oh, and you need to do an extra yard duty or uh, you you can't, we used to sometimes go out for lunch. We had like our 50 minute lunch break, but we would have literally like a weather, we'd see what, if because if it was raining, we'd have to go back to school and do yard duty, like supervise children. So there was always this kind of pressure cooker environment where things were coming at you from all directions, sometimes out of your control, like the weather and sometimes in someone else's control, like, you know, create this new thing um, or let's change the entire curriculum for a year level or whatever. Um, and then there was just the day-to-day -day managing the, you know, your own, your admin stuff for your classroom and then obviously your student management and all that kind of stuff. So there's lots of moving parts mm -hmm. and schools can be quite high pressure, tense environments. Yeah. And, and, and you see, like you see people walking around <laughs> looking like they're, they're, you know, in Early, Jurassic yeah. Park or something, you know, it's yeah. sort of like they're they're on high alert the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. A, it, the the other. I guess to give you useful um, ideas is this is not complex either. Your your nose is designed to maintain the right level of CO two and also to get the air all the way down to the bottom of the lungs, where where the most blood and alveoli. The, the, the most of that is down there, the alveoli, the blood. Um, and so what happens often too is just through, there's many different things that happen through um, your face is not developing properly. A lot of jaw problems, a lot of teeth problems are actual um, airway and breathing problems. They, they get worse over time. But as people breathe less through their nose, then this also 
um, has you blow off too much CO2. So if you're mouth breathing all the time and, um, you know, jobs where you're speaking a lot, like teaching, mm-hmm. you know, things like that, where you're talking a lot, again, you're going to have that. So just, pr- again, practicing breathing through your nose, you know, if you're sitting in the car or just in the morning or whatever, if you're not speaking or you're not eating, if you have your lips closed and you're breathing through your nose, this will naturally begin to balance and calm things down. So, you know, there, there are these really simple uh, techniques like that, like breathing through your nose or sitting for a couple of minutes in the morning. Mm. And they're probably the most effective mm. things that you can do to start out. They they will, you know, I mean, I wouldn't know the exact numbers, but they would, they would lower somebody's uh, arousal levels, like their stress levels, would easily lower them 20, 30, maybe even 40%. It, it just, just from those things If they alone. can make that change comfortably. When yeah. I was teaching, I used to have usually three classes a day would come to me for 100 minutes each, and I was teaching performing and visual arts. So, But, but in the performing arts room this particular semester, I, had a, I was studying applied positive psychology in one of my my classmates had been a, a, a rower, like a elite rower in the Olympics. And, um, and he was talking about being able to lower his heart rate with breathing. And I'm like, no, but he'd been monitoring his body since he was a teenager because he was an elite athlete. And so I just decided I would try it with my students. So every class I had for about I did it for about six weeks. I kept going for the rest, sorry, for the rest of the year. Um, but it took about six weeks. My heart rate, my resting heart rate at the time was 120 beats a minute. So like I was on my way to having a heart attack or something, you know, it was pretty stressed. And I lowered my heart rate by 20 beats a minute over about six week period. Just by doing that, every class that came to me three times a day, I would say, we're just going to sit and just all I'd got them to do. And I didn't really know a lot about it, but I just said, we're just going to focus our attention on our breathing. I just want you to breathe in, breathe out, pause, feel the, listen to your breathing. And you could almost feel this kind of click in the environment, like in the classroom, there was like something happened and you could just feel everyone come down. And then I'm like, okay, now bring your attention back into the room and then we'll have our lesson. And oh my gosh, what a game changer. It made such a big difference to everybody, like for the kids too, coming in from the playground or whatever. It just sort of reset the whole tone of the the environment. Even thinking about it now, I almost get that feeling of calm come over me, um, Mm -hmm. just remembering it. But yeah, it was amazing to lower my heart rate. My heart rate's a lot lower than that now. You'll be pleased to know. Um, I got, it's down to the like high 70s now, which is, you know, not too bad for my age. Um, but uh, yeah, it was amazing just to be able to bring it down just through that one, like, what was it like, eight, 10 minutes a day intervention, uh, three times a day, like mm-hmm. two minutes, three times a day. That, that yeah. would increase, you know, just, a, just concentration from the students alone by low, mm-hmm. by increasing your CO2. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the 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 amount of misdiagnosis of ADD with a with with breathing problems is would just make your hair stand on end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we work with a with a a, um, a doctor in the US, and he has been doing this for forty years. And the the amount of things that get uh, diagnosed as you know whether it's a whether it's a type one or type two disorder, like a mental disorder or a thing. And 
you know, most of the literature, and I don't know why this gets missed, but most of the literature in the psychiatric um, handbooks and things like that, anybody who's really been worth their weight has always mentioned in those books that somebody's breathing should always be checked before you prescribe them drugs, before mm-hmm. you prescribe them, or before you label them with anything, you know, before any of that, then you need to, you need to, and so, you know, I mean, you've got to think in the classrooms today, if you've got stressed out teachers, mm-hmm. stressed out kids, what's that going to show up like and and what are the interventions that get put into it? So, you know, just what you were describing, just taking that, you know, few minutes beforehand. And I know, you know, Angie, when we have work meetings and Angie has the the team meetings, she always slows everyone down and, and everyone begins with, you know, what it, where five, it, breaths. 20, five breaths, it. 20 breaths. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's something that will allow people to just calm, get their, their mind will come into coherence. They'll feel a lot better and they'll, they'll absorb information better, you know, like Almost it's just, like creating that third space, like where you, you're tr- making the transition from the last thing you were doing into the next thing. Yeah. The transitions, they're a very tricky thing that we have a tendency to resist or rush past, <laughs> you know, but how important it is to, to, to bring this mindful attention to, you know, for me, my experience in, in, in connecting with my breathing reflex and, and realizing that I had this habit and I, I started noticing that I'm, I was breathing in circles all day long mm-hmm. and it was causing me to be actually quite moody and my poor children sometimes, you know, and so and, when and your poor husband as well, maybe uh, he's, he's tough. He just looks at me and goes, oi, I'm like, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. So, so is the solution then you, you talked about the triangle, you talked about the circle. So how does the square fit in? Mm-hmm. Do you want to? Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it does. It, it, well, when you're pausing, so the the square breathing, you'll hear it a lot where they talk about combat breathing. This is something I was taught in the military, and and it's a square breathing. Not until I learnt the, the the whole bit about CO two did I really understand it, because the square is inhaling, pausing, exhaling, and pausing. Mm. So there's an inhale and exhale and two pauses, and the two pauses serve as building the co2 up so if you feel overwhelmed think of a square you inhale you hold at the top you then exhale and hold at the bottom and you do that a couple of times and what that's going to do is it's going to then start to counterbalance the the gases out you're going to start raising co2 more co2 so it works as an effective intervention how long do you need to do like each side of the square it's totally up to you. It depends. Like, totally up to you. But what you I mean, the re- yeah, the recommendation is is you know, I mean, one to two seconds is fine. Yeah, okay. the count well, of one two. To, one to two squares. Yeah, one one to two. No, no, one to two seconds. You mean you mean how how long each, each side? Have, so like, is it yeah. like in yeah. two three hold two three? Easily good one. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. That's achievable yeah. for most people. Just like yep. just like that, Elizabeth. And I think the other thing to remember, the thing that. Um, that I find really important is that when you're talking to people about doing breathing exercises, everyone starts to take these really huge breaths. Mm. And it's almost like you want to do the opposite. You want to actually do it quieter and calmer. So if I was to say to you, okay, Elizabeth, let's do the square, the normal thing for someone to do is start going... (sighs) 
hold it like that. Yeah. You know, like they, they'd want to, re, you know, they want to throw themselves into it. Where this is a lot of muscle. Where, where the where the opposite is true. You want to do it smaller and quieter, and and that's in fact one of the really important parts of your breathing is we're actually breathing too much, which is why we have this CO two problem. We're actually breathing too fast, too deep, too whatever you whatever you want to name it. We're breathing too much, and so. A lot of the work that we do with people to get their breathing back in a check is to have them breathe smaller and quieter. And when you breathe smaller and quieter, so, you know, for example, someone has a panic attack, don't tell them to take a deep breath. Mm. What, what you do is you take them by the hands, you hold their hands, you look in their eyes and you just get them to, you get them to just calm their breathing, like calm their breathing down, just make it smaller and quieter which is often opposite to what you think. You, you, you think you would tell someone, okay, take a deep breath, you know, keep breathing, take, take deep breaths, which is going to drive, you know, often it'll drive them further into a panic attack. So it's, it's more about reassurance and it's more about getting someone to breathe quieter. And so this idea in the morning of letting your body idle is kind of like that. You're kind of like reassuring yourself. You're just sitting there with yourself, reassuring yourself, making the breaths quieter, as, as you go through and, and, and you, you're letting the body idle. So the, these are kind of like really the, the, the techniques that work the best are the preventative techniques of what we've, of like the things that we've said, you know, sitting there, letting your body idle, making your, making your breathing quieter, breathing through your nose a lot, a lot, um, a lot more often. Just if you catch yourself, just close your lips. You know, mm. just remind yourself all the time just to breathe well, through. It's the kind breath. of like, like, like not running your engine at like, like you know, right. I don't know, whatever, however many revs, high like high revs. Yep. You're actually letting it get back down to like optimal, optimal. Yes. so that you can see the the little. I don't even know what that thing's called, the revometer. Yeah, yeah. sitting there and yeah. it's not going crazy. It's yep. just nicely, happily, like when you're in the right gear. Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. a, they're, they're the right analogies. They're they're um, you know the well we all we, we you know I mean if you think about it we want to have optimum thinking we want to have optimum you know function in our body. This is no different. It's just a deeper level. You know if we think about going to the gym and training ourselves, it's just a, a level deeper training the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Is really, what yep. it's about. We we um, we just recorded this meditation. We call it the ultimate breathing meditation. Shane thinks it's cheesy I think but and it's really just about doing that it's about small triangles and it's about pausing in the triangle feeling that natural reflex and naturally inhaling when your body is ready to not when you want to you know being able to relax into the sensations quite often some people will have a feeling like they're not getting enough oxygen because they're not used to breathing in that way so there is a little bit of a transition into high rev living into steady idle living. <laughs> yeah, I love that analogy. It's a great analogy because I think, you know, a lot of the people I talk to are in that high rev living mm-hmm. and they're they're really dysfunctional, you know, in a and not to be insulting, but just they're 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 not functioning at their optimal level. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or they're malfunctioning. You know, like you said about all the, I, I talk to so many people who've got like autoimmune skin issues, you know, a whole range of weird and wonderful um, physical ailments as a result of the stress they're under constantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So as we wrap this up, I'm actually I forgot to tell you I was going to ask you this question. So 
apologies in advance. Um, I like to ask my guests what's their favourite song, just for a little bit of an insight into the way you guys roll. So, um, Shane, I'm going to pick on you first. Have you got a favourite song? Oh, man. Or a favourite artist? Maybe a country one? No. <laughs> he likes country no. too. Yeah. Um, All right, let Angie go first while you pop I'm not really into music. I know. <laughs> well, you are because I play music. Well, that's really interesting because it depends on my mood. Um, the... Uh, there is a song um, that is called uh, Release Control. <laughs> and it's a little bit of a mantra type of a song, but it's like, you know, it talk, like the first opening line is I release control. And that's kind of like been on my mind a lot lately, especially with what I'm working through. Okay. <laughs> at the moment. Uh, I, I love Fleetwood Mac. Chain, oh. chains. Yeah, that's a that's a really good oh, song. Okay, uh, yeah, and the well, girls we've been playing it for our girls. It. Our They've girls love it. it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you never break the chain. I remember that song. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> An oldie but a goodie. Oh wow. Okay, I thought you guys were a bit too young for Fleetwood Mac. No, <laughs> hey. he's forty-five this year. Yeah, but it's funny because we were laughing. It's like seven. No, was it eighty years ago? Seventy years ago? Yeah, yeah. Fleetwood Mac, and I was like, we're still singing the jams. We, you know, they're, they're classic. We love them. Awesome. Okay, so now before we wrap, before we like finish, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? no I don't think so I don't no I think it's really good I I think uh I think really it's you know when you have open discussions like this it's really interesting to see what comes out and um I think we hit covered a lot of ground today <laughs> no I think I think Elizabeth that, that analogy of the of the engine I think is a is just a really good analogy for the way that you can look at breathing um rather than looking at it as the interventions look at it as are you idling correctly? Because mm-hmm. that because everything everything you do every everywhere you come from that will you know the better you can be in that stable foundation, mm. the, the better you'll perform and the better you'll feel overall. The better your body will function. Yeah, like a well tuned car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice one. Oh, Shane and Angie, thank you so much for joining us on the Get Out of Teaching podcast today. It's been such an interesting conversation. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks. Okay, so Angie, um, Shane's had to go, but I just wanted to check in with you and ask you if someone wanted to work with you or maybe even if a school wanted to work with you guys uh, to help them, you know, manage the well-being of their staff or if individuals want to work with you, what's the best way to connect with you? Um, What are they they asking for when they, they reach out to you? Yeah. Well, you can find us at breatheme.com and that's uh, breathe with an E. <laughs> so if you, if you still, if you go to breatheme.com, you'll find loads of uh, free resources. There's great podcasts, blogs. Um, we also have launched our online breathing Academy. So for anybody who is interested in the breathing science or interested in how it affects the psychology and the physiology from a behavioral science perspective, um, we've launched the online breathing Academy. 
which um, is an online program that gives you 15 CPDs or CECs, your continued education credits. So, you know, that's something that I would recommend. Um, if it's a school, uh, really, if there's, we're, this, this is what we're here on the planet to do is to help people self-regulate. So just contact us and, you know, we'll work something out that, uh, that will really help. I mean, I know right now schools, is, I think it's going to be really important into the future. Our children are our future. I think the self-regulation techniques are really important. I know with my little one, she did have a hullabaloo of a couple of years, last few years. So, you know, knowing what I know uh, has had me be the example for her on how to manage herself and manage her state and her emotions. You know, I don't think we we get taught how to self-regulate in this world. So, you know, if there's anything that we can do to be of service to to help people, that's what we're here for. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for just adding that little extra piece in. I think that's really valuable. Thank you. You're welcome. You've been listening to the Get Out of Teaching podcast presented by Larksong Enterprises with your host, Elizabeth Diakos. Thanks for listening. If you need more support in your journey out of education, take a look around my website, larksong.com.au, where you'll find free resources, my resume revamp product, and a link to book a strategy call with me to get you moving forward. I've been where you are now, and you don't need to do this alone.